I want to welcome you to the third and final week of our series, Keep the Change. And I just, on behalf of our church, I want to thank Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz for serving our church so amazingly these last two weeks. If uh, we don't know each other yet super well, uh, we want to fix that. But my name is Chris Beal, and I've been a part of Life Church almost 20 years on staff uh, for 18 years. And up until recently, I have served as the Oklahoma City campus pastor for the last 12 years. And literally, it was just a couple weeks ago that I shifted into a new season at Life Church. I oversee the 10 locations in the Oklahoma City campus or the Oklahoma City area. And I just started within the last six months a brand new ministry that really birthed out of Craig's heart for executives and business men and women who have the gift of generosity. They are passionate about growing this gift. And so we launched in September, the legacy team, and I serve as the legacy team pastor. And so that's a little appropriate. It's appropriate given what we're gonna talk about today. And for full disclosure, um, you, anytime we talk about money or stewardship or generosity, um, all of these concepts have been lived out by Craig and Amy Groeschel better than anyone I know. And so I'm just straight up a copycat. Whatever he's done, I've just tried to copy that and apply that to my life. So Craig and Amy, I'm so grateful for just how you've modeled this with such humility and kingdom focus. You know, when you look back, yeah, we can make some noise. Absolutely. So there's a lot of headlines in 2020. Uh, obviously, there's a little virus that went around and, and a lot of challenges that people faced. One thing that um, I'm not sure made the press all the way to you was a pretty historic shift in the separation of wealth. Check this out. In the last 12 months, the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet have more resources and assets, check this out, than the bottom 50% combined. True story. How many wanna be in the 1%? Like you feel like, God, that's you, would you've called me into the, the one, I wanna be rich. And, and the thing is, rich is a bit of a moving target. It just keeps kind of moving. Like my very first job, I was 14 years old and I was like a dishwasher, a bus boy. I made $2.75 an hour. In today's currency, that's a Dr. Pepper at a restaurant an hour. That's what I made every hour to do pretty hard work. But I actually was pretty thankful for it. Like I could buy whatever I wanted and I could work over, like time and a half was, man, like, what is that? Like not much. Um, <laughs> And then you kind of grow up and like, okay, $20,000. That's, if I could just make $20,000. And so uh, I married Cindy, my best friend, and we were called into ministry. And my very first job as youth pastor, they offered me 20,000 bucks. And we were set, people. Like we could pay all of our bills on time and go to Taco Cabana once a month for fajitas for two. Like that's, that was the dream for us. And then the bar was like, okay, 30. If we could just make $30,000 a year. And a few years later, we helped launch a church in Memphis, Tennessee. And guess what? They offered us $30,000. And Cindy leaned over to me right after they made the offer. And she says, do you know what this means? I'm like, what, babe? She's like, I don't have to work anymore. <laughs> like, 
I don't have to go into that classroom and teach those kids ever again. Like we have arrived, but the bar of wealth and what rich looks like just keeps moving. So Rachel kind of acknowledged this last week. How much do you need to be happy? The answer, just a little bit more. Just, just a little bit more. And Jesus, he spoke to, to us with a caution on this. In the gospel of Luke chapter 12, he said, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You have to watch out. You have to be on your guard. You have to be mindful that you do not get sucked into the lie of this world that it is what you do not have that is what you actually need to be happy and fulfilled. It's a lie. There was this man, this farmer, and he had a banner year in the Bible, like, like more produce than he knew what to do with. And it never really even occurred to him, like who could I help or where could I be generous or, or, or who could I entrust this with? But he decided, you know what, what I'm gonna do is I have more than I know what to do with. I'm just gonna tear down my, my chintzy little barns and I'm gonna build bigger ones to store all of this stuff up for me. And Jesus spoke to him and said, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for who? Say it with me, you, for yourself. The object lesson is this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves, things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. God was not mad that this guy was rich. In fact, he was a farmer. All a farmer needs to be rich is rain, sunshine, fertile soil. Who made the guy rich? God. God wasn't mad that he was rich. The problem was that he wasn't rich toward God. The good news and bad news today, the good news is you're rich. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, Pastor Chris, I don't feel rich. You just talked about this separation of wealth and the 1% and the 50%. I'm pretty confident I'm not in the 1%. The paradox though is while all of this is happening, 3 billion people on planet earth live on $2 a day. And if you compare the problems that you deal with with the problems that they deal with, are you rich? Like think about your problems. Like we have these boxes in our, in our kitchens called refrigerators that they keep our food from spoiling. Like you don't actually have to go kill tonight's dinner every day. Um, some people do or, or harvest it. It'll actually keep it from spoiling, but you open it up and there's stuff in there, but you say, I've got nothing to eat. Rich people problems, right? Or you order something from Amazon and it's literally coming from across the country and God forbid it takes three days and not two and you're frustrated, you have rich people problems. Or you've got this little device in your pocket that is more powerful than the mainframe computers of the 1980s and you have instant access to everything and you pull up Netflix and then the little spinny circle, it starts buffering 
And just remind yourself when you're frustrated, it's coming from outer space <laughs> to your phone. You have rich people problems. I, I want you to say this out loud. This is gonna make some of you uncomfortable. Say it out loud, I'm rich. Again, I'm rich. If that statement makes you uncomfortable, can I ask you why? Why? Why is it uncomfortable to say that? I think that Solomon spoke to this in Ecclesiastes chapter five. He says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, Rachel talked about that last week. It's not, a, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. When he gives you the ability to accept your lot and be happy in your work and in your toil, Solomon says, this is a gift from God. But we're uncomfortable acknowledging that we've been blessed in this way. You would never be apologetic that God's blessed your marriage ever. God's blessed my marriage. God's blessed me with physical health. My kids love Jesus. You would never make excuses for any of that stuff. But when it comes to money, we get a little bit weird and we feel like, well, I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to have any of this thing. The good news is you're rich. The bad news is what? You're rich. Because the more you have, the harder it is for you to live by faith. Because you tend to trust what's in your hands rather than the God that puts more in your hands. It puts us at a spiritual disadvantage. The story of the rich young ruler, young man comes up to Jesus. What must I do, Rabbi, to be saved? And uh, the thing, just to remind yourself, Jesus knows all things at all times. And so he's like, well, um, you gotta keep the commandments, all of them. And the rich young ruler said, done, check. Uh, liar, no one has, but that's what he said. And then Jesus was like, okay, man, good job. You're amazing. Uh, one more thing. He said, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, then you can come follow me. His head drops and he just walks away. Jesus asked him, for the one thing he couldn't let go of. And he was unwilling to release it. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God if you would just let go. Wealth isn't a problem. The problem is when the things that you possess now possess you, when you're a prisoner to them. And so in the rest of our time today, I just want us to talk about how can we be rich toward God? Because clearly there's a difference in what he said to this farmer. We want to be rich toward God. And so there's some mindsets that we have to change to move into this divine wealth mentality. And the first is this, we have got to think like stewards, not like owners. You have to think like a steward, 
not an owner. Psalms 24.1, the earth is whose? Say it with me, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It belongs to God, it's all his. We've gotta get that in our mind. So what you watched mounted to your wall last night, God's. What you put on to wear to work today, God's. What you drove to go to church, it belongs to God. Frankly, you belong to God. Everything in it and all who live in it belong to God. This is so critical. And if you listen to that, and my encouragement is to have a moment of self-honesty. Do you actually believe that everything that you have is yours to own? And if you honestly say, yes, I get it. That's pretty much where the world lives. My, my humble question to you is, are you a tither? Because that's where it changes. Now, some of you just made a decision to say, oh my gosh, he's the guy and he's gonna talk about this thing. You better believe we are. Because this thing, I'm telling you, this is a brick wall in your faith. You are stuck until you can learn to trust God in this area. So, I'm, okay, okay, all right. Somebody believe what I'm saying. So I wanna talk about the tithe as though you've never heard this concept before in your life. And so I'm gonna look at a text in, in Malachi. Malachi was a minor prophet, last book in the Old Testament, 400 years before Jesus was born in Matthew. And so this is the context. But what you have to know is that the tithe was actually modeled 400 years before the Levitical law was given. So it's, it's in the law, but it actually predated the law. And then Jesus actually reaffirmed it in the New Testament. So, so the prophet Malachi says this. He says, bring, everybody say bring. I've gotten one word in and we're already repeating it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The storehouse is the New Testament local church where you are spiritually fed Old Testament temple, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Then God says something he has never said before or has ever said since. He says, test me in this. Wait, aren't we not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test? Yes, except when he says to test him. He says in this, I need you to test me. Some of you need to test him. God's saying, I dare you. I double dog dare you. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough to store it. So a couple things about the tithe. The word tithe comes from the Hebrew word ma'aser. Everybody say ma'aser. It's just fun to say. And it doesn't just mean a 10th of your income. It means the first 10th of your income. And I would argue that the order of what you give probably even matters more than the amount that you give. The whole point of the tithe is for God to teach us to build our lives in a divine order. And in God's world, he has to be first. You can't be. If you are first, 
the riches of heaven will actually do more harm in your life than would be a blessing in your life. And so if you would just build your life the first of your day, we're spending time with the Lord. The first of our week, the Sabbath, we gather together with God's people. And every time you get paid, the first of what our increase is, God, you are going to be first. It's all about the order. And notice that the first word of this verse does not say that we give our tithe, does it? It said we bring our tithe. I know that may be a small thing, but understand you can only give what you own. The reason it says bring is because it doesn't belong to you. Leviticus says the tithe is holy and set apart. God says it belongs to me. And so even if you're not a tither, but the first of your income is sitting in your bank account, that actually is owned by God, but you're possessing it. We bring the tithe, I think a better word is we are returning, not giving. We are returning what God already possesses. And when we return the tithe, here's my whole point, is that moment of worship declares God's ownership over everything else and then your mind begins to change. I am not an owner, I am a manager and a steward of what God has entrusted to me. We see this in our kids. Like I've got three boys, and when they were young, we, it seemed like we had a birthday party every single week. Like every week we're going to a new birthday party. And my kids had no limit of, of what generosity should look like in terms of birthday presents. And so I wanted to buy their, like there was a $10 limit. You cannot spend over $10. So that's like a deck of Uno cards or maybe a goldfish or I don't know, something small, a yo-yo. Let's get him a yo-yo. And Seth, my youngest is like, dad, let's get him a dirt bike. Come on. <laughs> or can we go to Tractor Supply and pick up one of those go-karts? For those of you uh, in new countries, Tractor Supply is the gift from God to those of us that like tools and gloves and stuff like that. But, but here's the thing. Isn't it so much easier to be generous when you're spending someone else's money, right? Isn't that the point of the tithe is to change our minds that this isn't mine, this belongs to God. How much easier is it for me to live my life open-handed, right? It's just easier. You were created to be a conduit of God's blessing and resource, not a collector of things. It's supposed to come to you, but then flow through you. That's the way we were designed to live our lives. Cindy and I um, started this adventure of tithing 26 years ago, and I was soup, I was not a fan. I was reluctant, I felt like this was a church scam, and they just want my money, and they found some way to twist the Bible to get out my wallet. And I didn't even give because I heard some great, amazing story of somebody you know, being blessed. It was straight disobedience. I knew I was walking in disobedience. And I reluctantly just said, fine God, and gave. And I'm not entirely sure he was excited about my attitude, but it started to shift my mind. And you fast forward to today, and in my home, our family culture, there is clearly a culture of God's ownership. We don't own anything, it's all his, and it's all available. Um, it's one thing when a husband and a wife are unified in money, 
It's another thing when a husband and a wife and the creator of the world are all on the same page with how to steward money. That changes your family tree, I'm telling you. And it has become who we are. And church, it is God who made, it's who God made you also to be. This is fun stuff. So we start with shifting our mind, uh, thinking more like stewards, not owners. Secondly, to be rich toward the things of God, we have to invest more than we spend. Invest more than we spend. And I am not talking about stocks or equities or 401ks or mutual funds. I am talking about heaven, heaven, being eternal kingdom investors. Matthew 6, 19, you, many of you know this verse, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, spending. Why? Because it's all gonna break and go away. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up or rather invest your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more you invest in the things that matter to the heart of God, the more your heart is gonna beat for the things of God. Your heart always follows where you give. Every moment of every day, you have a choice to make. To spend what God's given you, your time, your talent, your resource, or to invest it. Spend a little bit of time binging on your favorite Netflix show. It's not a sin, there's nothing wrong with it, but nothing's gonna happen in heaven because of it. Take the same amount of time and get on your knees and pray for your teenage kids. Pray for your boss that doesn't know Jesus. That, my friends, is an investment that will have an eternal yield later. Like there's same amount of time, but it's just a different outcome. You could spend your influence building your own brand or name on social media, or you could invest your influence to make famous the name that is above every other name. Like same amount of influence, but different results. You could spend your money on the next toy or thing, or you could pay a single mom's rent or, or give to a local mission partner or help fund the next Life Church campus where somebody's aunt is gonna get invited and her hand's gonna go up. There's a difference between spending and investing. I think that this trip several years back, probably five years ago, we took our, our family for the first time ever out of the country. And we got to this country and the boys got off the plane and they saw the money exchange places everywhere. And they were enamored with the idea of having foreign currency in their pocket. I begged them, please don't, don't do it. Everywhere you go, you can spend American dollars here. Please do not exchange them for the other currency. They did, did they listen? 100% no. All their American dollars became pesos, all of them. And so we went and had a great week and we flew back home after the end of our vacation. And we got home and be like, dad, what do we do with this? I'm like, good luck spending it. Good luck. You've got something in your possession you were super excited to have. And it was a value when you were temporarily at this one location. But now that you are back in your country of origin, it is worth nothing. How many of us will we get to heaven and realize what you spent your life obsessing and collecting was temporarily worth something there, but is of no value here.
We have to be investors because we're investing something we don't own. We're just stewarding it. And we wanna have the greatest gain possible. And there's this natural progression to this. We start with becoming stewardship thinkers and then we become investors in what God owns and you're gonna wake up one day and the third reality will be true of you and that is that you will live to give. It will become the reason that you have breath in your lungs and life in your bones is to find opportunities to give. Proverbs 20, 22, nine. For he who has a generous eye will be what? Say it with me. They will be blessed. The person that just lives their life looking through the lens of what need could I meet? What ministry could I serve? Where could I be a blessing? They will be blessed. You know, everything that Dave Ramsey and Rachel talk about, there is a spiritual point of all of it. It's not just to have stronger finances. What do they say? We're gonna live like no one else now so that we could live and give like no one else later. There is an eternal and spiritual why behind this entire series. We just want to be good stewards with what God has blessed us with. I, um, I, I mentioned the legacy team that I lead. And if I'm honest, you know, every spiritual gift given to Christians, there has always been a place where that gift can grow at Life Church, at a physical campus or at online. You know, leadership gifts can grow, serving gifts can grow, uh, you know, um, hospitality gifts, those of you who uh, love on the people walking into our campuses. But if I'm honest, when it comes to the gift of giving and generosity, I think it's been a little bit transactional over the past few years where somebody writes a check and, and exercises this gift and there's a thank you given. But where is the atmosphere in the ecosystem where not only can they grow this gift, but it's celebrated as an act of ministry, not one of philanthropy. Because any spiritual gift used in a parallel direction to the agenda of heaven is an act of ministry. It is not philanthropy. It's much deeper than that. And case in point, I'm at the South Oklahoma City campus about two months ago. And it's during the week I'm meeting with the, the team. And Brian Word, who's the pastor, invited me to uh, introduce me to Carrie and Bear, who are on the legacy team there and I had not met him in person. And uh, we just got to talking and they got to sharing their story. And I was pretty blown away by what they had to share. Um, they live for this, they live to give. And God has blessed them in business. Um, they actually have never had children. And so when they started thinking about the legacy that they were gonna leave, they're like, you know, our family, honestly, is our church. And so she said, Carrie said a couple weeks ago, we went to our attorney and we had them rewrite our trust. And they chose to name Life Church as the sole beneficiary of their estate, 100% of everything. And um, I was a, a tad speechless. And she, she went on to say that if we could leverage what God's blessed us with, even to reach one more person for the gospel, then we're growing our own family. And I drove home that day and I was, I was messed up in my head just thinking about what they just told me. Because see, I, 
I've always believed this thought that when you get to heaven, there's two things you will no longer be able to do. You'll no longer be able to sin and you will no longer be able to reach someone for Jesus. And she said, you know, campuses cost money, ministries cost money. And at that moment I realized, I don't actually think the second one is true anymore because the gift that they give when they go to be with Jesus are going to create campuses where people will be invited and hands will go up and people will now be going to heaven even after they have already arrived there. That is their legacy. And it's changed a lot about the way I think about my own legacy. Um, I wanna close with this. This is not something that God is demanding from you. It's something God is inviting you to. Next weekend, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's Easter weekend. And I heard this text uh, preached by um, Louis Giglio months ago. And I saw something in this text I'd never seen before. It's not a giving generosity thing. It's, it's really an Advent scripture. But something jumped out at me that I just, I wanna close you with. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as he's preparing for the end. He's preparing for the last supper and for his arrest and his crucifixion. And in the gospel of Matthew 21, Jesus tells the disciples, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Every Easter pageant you've ever seen with the one donkey was straight up wrong. There were two donkeys, big donkey, little donkey. There's a donkey and there's a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say to them that the Lord what? The Lord needs them. And then the person who owns and possesses those donkeys, the Bible says, will send them right away. In what universe does God who made everything need anything from you? Did he need the five loaves and the two fish to perform the miracle and feed the multitude? He is God? No. Did he need the little copper mite that the widow dropped into the offering in the temple? No. Did he need a tomb given by Joseph of Arimathea after his crucifixion, like he could just make a new tomb by thinking it. He's God. He authored Mount Everest in a whisper. He doesn't need you. Did he really need a big donkey and a little donkey to enter into Jerusalem to give his life for us? The answer is no. He could have entered Jerusalem any way he wanted. He get flown in like Peter Pan or Iron Man, whichever generation you're in, you apply the illustration. He could have blinked his eyes and shown up in the upper room without having to hear from the disciples, are we there yet? He could have just shown up to ask you who he made to borrow something from you that he already owns to heal a heart to save a life, to forgive a sin, to redeem a broken world is utterly ridiculous and unnecessary. What is he doing? 
He is inviting you to be written into the story. He doesn't need you to tell the story. He is giving you the opportunity to have a part in the story. I mean, think about this, folks. Think about as he's going into Jerusalem and they're laying their cloaks on the road as the donkey makes his way in and they're laying the palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's a guy that owns two donkeys watching all of this happen. And he got to be written in to the story. You and I get to be written in to the story. And so for those of you who honored God with the tithe for the first time, maybe you're doing that today. God is writing you in to the story. Those of you that give your time to serve in life, kids and switch week after week, every single time you do it, God is writing you into somebody's story. Every time you're like, I wanna sacrificially give to help launch the next life church location, you are being written into the story and changing someone else's down the road. He doesn't need us, but he invites us. And I just wanna give you this last encouragement. For 25 plus years, our mission has been this, to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. The fully devoted will not happen in you until you let go of what you don't want to release. That is where the treasure of heaven flows through you and God invites you to the greatest adventure of all time. All of our campuses praying together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. God, we thank you that you've mapped out how you want us to live our lives to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. God, help us just to be honest with ourselves and with you about what our next steps really should look like. Just in a moment of prayer, think about everything that God's given you. Your time, your gifts, your influence, your money, your, your circle of social connectedness. How many of you would say, God, I am 100% willing to offer any and all of it to change someone else's story. If that's you, would you just boldly raise your hand at all of our locations and at Church Online? Just let us know. I'm, I'm saying yes, God, to you. I'm gonna go a little bit more specific. And I hate to get into your business, but I definitely believe with my whole heart that for many of you, this moment of obedience is about to transform your spiritual journey. How many of you would say that if I'm honest, my next step, is to learn how to trust God with the tithe. And that is my starting point. Would you just raise your hand at all of our locations? Just be honest if that is your next step. Man, I thank God for each and every one of you. I wanna pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person who is hearing your voice and responding to your promptings. God, I pray that you would empower them with divine courage to take steps that are so countercultural and to build their lives 
to the order that you have called us to live our lives. And I know, God, that the blessing of heaven is gonna flow through each one of these people and families because of these moments of faith and ultimately impact someone else's eternity. As we continue to pray, you know, I think about faith. All of this stuff takes a lot of faith to to put your belief in that which you can't tangibly see. To trust God when you have your bills staring at you, that's faith. I want you to think about faith through a different lens though. How much faith does it take a God to send his one and only son to be tortured beyond what any human should bear, to die a criminal's death, not for his mistakes, but for yours and for God to demonstrate his irrational generosity toward you before a single one of us had ever believed. Good news and bad news. The bad news is we've all blown it. Every single one of us listening to this message have missed the mark. Whether you've missed it by a mile or a millimeter, it's all sin. And it separates us from God forever. And that the penalty of God or the penalty of sin is that we're now separated from a holy God forever. That's bad news. But church, the good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not to to pay a debt that he owed, but a debt that you and I owed. And here's the thing, it is not enough to just intellectually know about Jesus or what he did. We each have to receive what he did for the payment of our own sin. The Bible says, to as many as have received Christ, to them, he gives the right to be called a child of God. And so at all of our locations at Church Online, if he's not first, and you've never fully actually truly surrendered your whole heart to God with your life, in this moment, what do you do? You call out on Jesus, you ask him to forgive you. And in that moment of faith, the Bible says, you will be saved at all of our locations. If that's your prayer, I want you to boldly raise your hand right now. Just lift it up right where you are, all of our locations, hands going up, saying yes to the grace of our Savior who loves us and gave his life for us. At all of our locations at Church Online, just type right in the chat, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. We are all gonna pray together with those taking this step of faith. Every voice praying out loud with me, say this with me. Father, I need you. I have sinned. I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sin and you rose from the grave to bring me life. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit that I would be empowered to serve you always. In Jesus' name, I pray. Can somebody go a little crazy and celebrate the extravagant generosity of God?